Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. He preached a sermon where God says, where the prophet Isaiah speaking on God's behalf said, God says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. And I was so reminded in that beautiful prose in Isaiah 55 that Pastor John, um, Dr. John Gulger, so eloquently shared with us. I, I, I was convicted and convinced as he preached that we have a great need for God's word. So, so how then can I understand and know God if God's ways are higher than mine, and God's thoughts are higher than mine. And, and, and pastor said, hey, we have to know the word of God. We have to be hearing the word of God. We must be reading the word of God. And then if we didn't get it, he said, we must be reading the word of God. So, so I was convinced and convicted in my heart that, that you say, well, well, pastor, certainly, certainly you get up with the word of God and go to sleep with the word. I'm, I'm a man just like the rest of you, and in my humanity, sometimes I don't get enough of the Word of God. And God said, Charlie, get busy, right? And so, so uh, I don't know if God gave me this sermon or if I just wanted him to give me this sermon, but here we are. Philippians chapter 2, being like Jesus. I love this passage of Scripture, guys. I do. And I, I want to be thoughtful and careful of my words today, um, uh, mostly so that we get out of here before 4 or 5 o'clock. Um, but the Apostle Paul is sharing with the Philippian church. He, he loves this church. And, and some of the themes here are, are of his love for the Philippian people. One of the other themes in this book is joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 is uh, uh, being like Jesus. But now, here's where the Apostle Paul is. I think we have to understand a couple of things about this before, before we really get into this. If we went back to chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you. He said, I'm always praying for you with joy. And here's why. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, this church was faithfully faithfully promoting, preaching, and sharing the gospel. You see, with the Apostle Paul, it's all about the gospel. And then, verse 7, he says, For it is only right for me to feel this way, chapter 1, about you, because I have you in my heart. So you hear the love that he has for the Philippian people, right? Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partners. Now, my Bible says partakers but you are all partners of grace with me. Paul is saying to the Philippians, you have partnered with me in the gospel faithfully. Paul is locked up. Paul is locked up in jail because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, chapter 1, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, he's locked up, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Paul says, look, I am, Paul says, I'm cool, I'm locked up, but I'm cool because everything that's going on is, is 
is moving the gospel forward. People are coming to know Jesus Christ because I'm locked up. He says, even the guards who are tasked with making sure I don't escape are hearing the gospel and some of them are getting saved. So, so then, verse 16, some people are sharing the gospel out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Paul's all about the gospel. He's all in. And then he says, of course, even while he's locked up in verse 18, as long as Christ is being proclaimed, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 27, only conduct yourselves, and we're going to get into this in a couple of minutes. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says to the Philippian people, behave in such a way, let your behavior match up with this gospel that we are preaching. So Paul is all about the gospel. He says, and then I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul's all about the gospel. That's what we hear in chapter one. You said, Charlie, you're taking a long time getting to your text. I'm really not because Apostle Paul is locked up. He loves these people. They're partnered in the gospel. Um, and um, yeah, so Philippians chapter two, here we are being like Jesus. Here is the question that we must ask in our first slide in verse one. Are you all in? I ask myself that question. Am I all in? You see, sometimes it's easy, right? It could be easy as a Christian. You've, you've come to know Christ. You've been baptized. Some of us, that was a long time ago. You've even rededicated your life a couple times. I told y'all I was so sinful. I got baptized. I think I've been baptized three times. That's how, Look, man, I, you only have to get baptized once. I, I, I know that. My theology's good. I said, but when I was a teenager and a young adult, we were so cruddy. I, I think I ended up getting baptized like three times. I was trying to get all that sin off of me, right? But, but the Apostle Paul is asking here in chapter 2, verse 1, these things in verse 1 are, so he says, therefore. That's why I went back to chapter 1. Say, what is it therefore? He says, it's all about the gospel. So, if there, and I'm locked up, it's all about the gospel. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ. What he's saying is, there are four, four conditional clauses in verse 1. What he's saying is, of course there's encouragement in Christ. Of course there is love. Of course there's fellowship of the Spirit. He said, of course these things are going on. But what, in your church, he's saying, but are you all in? Are you all in? Next slide. So here we go. It's all about the gospel. Okay, I just did that. I ripped you off. So he talks about gospel partnership in verse 5 of chapter 1. He talks about sharing in God's grace in verse 7. He talks about enduring trials in verse 12. We are, as those who share the gospel, people are watching us and they're, they're seeing whether or not how you and I behave while we're enduring difficult times in life. He says sharing, he talks about sharing the gospel. Then he says living up to the gospel. I'm glad we got here. Does my behavior match up with the gospel that I say I believe? Hey, look, I, I still live in this flesh. So do you. Sometimes we don't level up. Sometimes, occasionally, we may not even want to. And there comes that time when something in the word of God or one of God's people 
calls us out. So am I living up to the gospel? And then G, verse 29, suffering for his sake. What we see here is that Paul is all in. He's giving his life for the gospel. In just a moment, I'm going to share a video with you. But So we have people who are giving their lives for the gospel. They're dying. They're locked up. They're being beaten because they will not deny Jesus Christ. But then way over here in our Western culture, let's not, let's not go to one extreme or the other, although I think each one is important. The men and women that I admire most in my life are people who are faithful to the gospel for 30, 40, 50 years, and I get to spend time with them. They are my role models. No matter what life is thrown at them, no matter what life throws at them, they stay faithful to Jesus. So, so whether one is a martyr for the sake of the gospel, whether one endures much suffering and hardship for the sake of the gospel, I want us to be aware that even Jesus said, you are going to suffer for my sake. Go ahead, let's, let's do that. When she was just 19 years old, ISIS, or Islamic militants, broke into her home in Baghdad, kidnapped her sister, and killed her brother in front of the family. ISIS threatened her family that they would come back and kill her. And left them with these options convert or be killed. The family quit everything they knew, their homes, their businesses, and left everything behind and left Iraq with nothing in their hands but their passports. When I saw her, I asked myself, what was so different about the two of us? We were both around the same age, she had a beautiful life before ISIS, and I didn't understand why she had suffered so much tragedy at such a young age. As we embraced, it dawned on me that we are all called to make this sacrifice in one way or another. We are all called to risk everything and lay down our lives for the gospel. And that looks different for each of us. This young Iraqi refugee girl chose Jesus over everything. And it is her courage and witness that strengthens me greatly. She was willing to risk everything and lay down her life for Christ. What are you willing to give? The persecuted need our voice and our platform. And we as Christians of the West need the strength and courage of the persecuted church. The reality is there is an undeniable attack on Christianity in the West. And standing with the persecuted church gives Christians strength and courage they need to stand up to the intimidation they face in their own country. We are one body, and where one member suffers, we all suffer. Stand with the persecuted Christians. March for the martyrs. Thank you, Selena. So sometimes when we say, what is it like it, when the word of God calls me to be like Jesus? When we hear these, these stories that sadden our hearts, they cause us grief. And at the same time, they should encourage us greatly. But it's a reminder to those of us who live in a free country where for the time being, we can worship as we choose and believe what we cho as we choose. We can read the books we want. We can live wherever we want. The Apostle Paul was suffering 
for the sake of the gospel. For him, it was all about the gospel. And so I asked myself, am I all in? Say, Pastor, that's kind of extreme. Yeah, that's happening, um, that's happening all over the world. It may not be happening here in our backyard. And yet, we ask ourselves the question, and we have to remember that it's all about the gospel. So being like Jesus, I must be reminded on a daily basis, do I care enough to slow down my life to share the love of Jesus Christ with someone who needs it? So camp was a great example for me, right? Um, I'm directing camp. Uh, I wasn't coaching basketball this year. I was directing camp. And so I'm busy, right? I'm supposed to be doing this and this and this. And you know what? Um, God, God really convicted me right away that, well, not right away, but after a week or so, I needed to be sitting down with some of our students. I needed to be hearing if there was anything on their hearts or minds that was preventing them from knowing Jesus. Particularly, you know, our older elementary and middle school students who understand when they hear the gospel, they understand it. So how are they responding? Charlie, slow down. Yeah, you have responsibilities. Yes, there's a lot to do, but it's all about the gospel. We have gospel partnerships here at Graffiti, but we need to make sure that it's all about the gospel. So if I'm going to be like Jesus, the gospel is all about Jesus. In a few minutes, we're going to hear then um, more about the phrase, it's not about you. Yeah, that doesn't preach well some places. Next slide. So verse 2, if you've ever been to Cold Stone Ice Cream Place, um, it used to be my fave. I just kind of wore it out over the years. I've eaten my share of ice cream. But what I love about Cold Stone is in every single store right up on the counter, they have the sizes of the ice cream. If like it, love it, gotta have it. That gotta have it. And, and, and I'm confessing my sins. When, most of the time when I went to Cold Stone, I always got the gotta have it, right? And, and if the person was really doing their job, they piled that cup up so the lid didn't fit on it, right? And, and so Paul gives us these gotta have it in verse 2 that correspond to the conditional phrases in verse 1, okay? Uh, and I don't want to be too nerdy, so I, I wanted to keep it simple. So there's some gotta have it that Paul says if we're going to be like Jesus in verse 2. One, he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, same love, united in spirit, intent on one, intent on one purpose. He says love each other. Now listen, that sounds good, right? It even sounds easy, but it's not. I've said this before. There are days I'm not a very lovable person. Ask Diane. She's, well, you can't now. She stepped out. Huh? But you know what? If we went back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and we started, we started breaking that down, what you would see is that love is a commitment, that love is hard work, that love, and we'll see it in the next verse, that love requires me to set aside my rights to myself and care more about you in the moment than I care about myself. So he says, love each other. He says this in chapter 1, and that's why I read it, even though we were talking about the gospel. Um, he says it in 127, um, one spirit and one mind. And so we know it's important because he repeats it right here in verse 2. He says, have unity of mind. This is for the church. 
friends. I think maybe I, I, I preached this a little too quietly when we were going through Ephesians. And when I say that, I don't mean like yelling and stomping and spitting. I, I, I mean like just taking the time to say unity of mind. And, and, and I get it. One of the things is it's my responsibility as your pastor, right? Speed of the leader, speed of the team. Don't write that down. I don't want you to remember that. But, but so he says to the whole church, you've got to have unity in your minds. What does that look like? And then he says, there must, and, and we're going to define what that looks like in a couple minutes. But then he says, unity of spirit. Now, whether he's talking about all our spirits united under the Holy Spirit, or whether he's saying we all have unity in the Holy Spirit, um, being true to the grammar, you can go both ways. I like, and I guess it's just because I like it, not because I'm a great theologian. I, I like this idea, just like all of our relationships in this room revolve around Jesus Christ, that we are all united by the Holy Spirit. So because of the Holy Spirit, when I'm not very lovable sometimes, you have the love of Jesus Christ in you, and you can love me anyway. The Holy Spirit will help us have unity of mind. But whether it's in Bible study or in the pulpit on Sunday morning or reminding each other when we're in the trenches, serving together in, or out in the community, that we must, one, keep the gospel first. And then even at Graffiti, we have certain core values. We said we're loving the homeless, the hopeless, and the hurting. Um, and how we do that matters. And there must be unity when we are serving together. Sometimes it gets real, right? Sometimes you think it's, we're serving people and it's all just going to be like uh, rainbows and colorful unicorns. I had to clean that up real quick. And, and, and sometimes it's not, because sometimes people are hurting when they come in here. And sometimes we all have to be on the same, we all have to be in the spirit and have unity of mind about serving people the way Jesus did. All right, spoiler alert. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we're going to have unity of mind, these are the things where we have to have unity. And then he says unity of purpose. Why are we here? Why does East Baltimore Graffiti Church exist, right? When we come back in September, we're just going to get way down in the nuts and bolts of some of these very topics. Why? What is our purpose? Certainly we know if we're obeying the word of God, our number one purpose is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people are hearing the gospel and having the opportunity to know Jesus as their savior. That's our number one purpose. We have to remember that. There are some things that are important to us at Graffiti, right? We, we feed hungry people. We have food available for folks to help them get from their budget in the middle of the month to the budget at the end of the month. Sometimes our friends who come are homeless. They have nowhere to store any food. So, we have, so, so there are things that we do very purposefully. When we share the gospel with children in our community during the month of July every summer, we spend hundreds of hours preparing for that because we want to do it well, but most importantly, we want kids to know Jesus. So, so then, some things then have to take priority. I just got out of, ahead of myself again. 
Next slide. All right, here we go. Loving one another is commanded by Jesus. I am going to go ahead and do this. I didn't put them in all the slides. Um, I could have, it would have been a little easier, but Matthew chapter 22, I think it's important to hear this this morning. Matthew chapter 22, 27 through 30. Getting used to my new Bible here. I did that wrong. Forgive me. My reference is wrong. Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and he said you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Loving one another is commanded by Jesus. Sometimes loving your neighbor is going to cost you something. Sometimes loving God is going to cost you something. I already shared with you that love is hard work. If we did go to 1 Corinthians 13, and lots of folks, we read that at, at weddings, and, and we read that, and it sounds so beautiful, and it is, but we, what we really learn is that when, uh, love is patient, love is kind, love does not seek its own, love does not hold grudges, um, love gives, it doesn't take. Sounds to me like love is hard work. Sounds to me like love is a commitment. Sounds to me like sometimes loving people, it takes um, the impact that it will have in their lives takes place over a period of time. I don't just have, I, I can't just be loving or patient or kind one day and, and call it a day, right? First Corinthians 12:13 says, um, and if I did that one correctly, I'd like to read it. First Corinthians 12:13 says this: "For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body." whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The Holy Spirit binds us together for a common purpose. We know that purpose is the gospel, but that purpose is also to make myself available to love people in my community and in my church. Being available takes time. And you say, well, maybe I can do that. Well, and then I told you loving people's hard work because then when you get here and you make yourself available, not everybody is so lovable that you're going to serve. You might have a day where you might be here serving and you might not be real lovable. And we might have to love on you. It might be your day. Certainly I've had my day and I've tried some of your patience. And then of course, sincerely caring for one another. Let's talk about the difference between empathy and compassion. The Apostle Paul does. Empathy says, I feel your pain. Compassion says, I'm going to do something about it. I feel your pain, brother. I feel your pain, sister. Sometimes that is meaningful. I'm not mocking that empathy is important. It means we have feelings. It means your heart is ticking in there, right? Your head's working and your heart's ticking. Sometimes empathy is important, identifying with what someone is going through. But empathy says, I feel your pain. Compassion says, I'm going to do something about it. That might cost you something. That might cost me something. Maybe a couple dollars, maybe more, maybe some time, which for some of us, our time is, is probably even a lot more valuable resource to us than our money. Whether it's time, money, maybe it's just sitting down and listening to somebody. I've learned to do that over the years a little bit. Sometimes somebody doesn't want you to fix their problem. They don't want you to fix it. We're not supposed to, we're not fixers anyway, amen? 
But sometimes somebody doesn't want you to fix their problem. They just want, you, they just want to tell you what's going on in their life. Sometimes the best thing you can do and I can do is be a listener. Be a listener. Those of us who are talkers, we have to work harder at that. Next slide. So we have the gotta have it, but now we have the don't gotta have it. Probably not real good grammar there, right? But in verses 3 and 4, Paul continues to expound on verses 1 and 2. He says then, don't be selfish. The don't gotta have it. Uh, next slide. He says, check your motives. It's not about you. Coming to church, so listen, I, 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 this is a hard message, right? We live in an individualistic culture that does say it's all about me. I used to joke I was going to get a t-shirt and wear it every now and then, it's all about me, and just see how people treated me when they saw that on my shirt. I still might do that experiment one day. But, but some people live their lives, and they're not mean, evil people, so to speak, but we live our lives in our culture as if it's all about us. Apostle Paul says, check your motives. How do I know that's what he's saying? He says, don't be selfish. He says, but be humble, um, humility of mind, right? So unity of mind, one purpose, humility of mind. Why? Because then you can regard one another as more important than yourselves. Oh my. Stepping on toes, preacher. But it is hard. Thank you. Some, thank you. That's real honesty. It is hard. I'm not saying we don't have boundaries. And I'm also not saying you let everybody that comes along walk all over you. Certainly the Apostle Paul's not talking about that, and neither was Jesus. Amen? He said, but, but sometimes having humility of mind, being available, being present, having myself in a position where I can care for someone in that moment, your needs are more important than mine. Why? Because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said, because Apostle Paul said so. That's why. So if I'm going to obey the word of God, then sometimes serving people check, requires me to check my motives and remember that it's not about me. Secondly, secondly, he's saying, look out for one another. Just have somebody's back. Instead of tearing, and now in the Philippian church, they weren't tearing each other down, but they had, some, they had some little stuff going on. That's part of the reason he's writing this. Some people weren't getting along, church folk, right? Who would have ever thunk it, you know? Church folk not getting along? That doesn't happen here, right? But, but anyway, some church folk weren't getting along. He says, look out for one another. You know, when some people come through that door, they don't have, they may not have anyone else who does that. I've had lots of people in my life who have had my back along the way. I've been blessed. So for me, not to be available um, to do that for someone else is a sin. I'm just talking about me. Uh, serious, too. I'm not, being, I'm not joking. Because I know the only reason I'm standing up here today and not somewhere else with a different thing going on in my life is because some people have my back. My mom and dad, even when I didn't deserve it, at my back, at a wife who married an alcoholic and a dope fiend when we were really young, when she had my back, still does. Some people come in those doors for whatever reason, right? Sometimes we do cruddy stuff and we burn our bridges, I get it. But some people come through that door and it doesn't matter what they did yesterday or the day before, they don't have somebody that has their back. So looking out for one another becomes just a little more important. And you don't know. You don't know what it'll be. Sometimes I've done little teeny things that I completely forgot about. 
and, and, and God gives me these little blessings that I don't deserve, man said, hey, pastor, remember me? You saved my life. I said, oh my gosh, I don't even remember this guy. I don't. I don't. I, I know that's terrible, but I'm not being terrible. What I'm saying is there was a moment in time in the neighborhood when someone OD'd and I sat with them until the paramedics came. And then I told the paramedics that maybe he lives over somewhere around this way or that way. And I sat with them until the paramedics came. And I thought most of these guys, they don't remember. Well, some, of, some people do remember how they got where they got. And, and I just sat with them for 15 minutes while the paramedics came. And he never forgot that. But I, I, I was available. I'm, I'm not a great guy. I'm just saying sometimes it could just be the little things. Look out for one another. Have somebody's back. And then he says, check your priorities. Man, I've had to do that lately. I have. It, yes, I know. It hurt me too. It, I'm not joking. And, and, so, and, and sometimes we can make excuses, and sometimes we have excuses that sound pretty good, right? I'm the pastor. I'm a busy guy. I got to do this, and I got to do that. No. No. When the Word of God speaks, right? Just like Pastor John said, God's thoughts and ways are higher than my thoughts and ways. When the Holy Spirit speaks to me and I'm called to a different level of obedience or I'm called to confess and repent, man, we better do it quickly. I had better do it quickly. Check your priorities. And I've had to do that some lately. And sometimes, often, when we do that, it's the, it's, it's the things that nobody sees, right? So they're not exciting and sexy and dramatic. They don't get on TV. But it's all the, the priorities that of caring for and loving some people in the little... It might be someone in your family or at your house. If it doesn't start there, we're all in trouble. God convicted me of that too. So check my priorities. And then let's, let's get to the good part. Be like Jesus. Verses 5 through 8. Look, guys, chock full of theology. You don't want me to talk all day. But, but he says, have this attitude. And he's repeating it. Have this mind or this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is something that was in Christ that we are called to have in us. And the only reason that we are capable or able to do it is because we are in Christ with the Holy Spirit in us. So, okay, here we go. Uh, next slide. As we continue to talk about this, is it time for a spiritual checkup? I miss my babies. So a few years ago, they were little, right? They were like five or six years old. And they said to me, Nolly Pop, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. And you know, when a five-year-old says that to you, like, like they have the awareness that I'm being a smart aleck or saying something I shouldn't. And so, so, yeah, I'm quoting my granddaughters. Is it time for a spiritual checkup? For me, for me, it was time for a spiritual checkup this month. It was time for me to go to Dr. Jesus, I'm not being funny, and hear something in the Word of God that will call me back to obedience about my priorities, my attitude, my availability, how I love you and others. So it was time for a spiritual checkup for me. Next slide. Here's what a spiritual checkup looks like. Here's what a spiritual checkup looks like. Setting aside privilege, power, and position. You know, sometimes um, having some advantages is not always sinful, common to what our culture might tell you today. If God has given you some blessings in your life, 
and he has allowed you to do some things or have some things, as long as you and I make sure we are using them for the glory of God, it's not all evil. But sometimes I can do some things that I can kind of escape and not be available or not be present where God wants me to be. And just like what Jesus did when he came to earth, I like to be theologically careful, but also say Jesus set aside, he has been God for eternity, God for eternity in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit. They were there in Genesis, they were there before Genesis, and they'll be there together, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for all eternity. We can't wrap our minds around that because we are finite and we live inside of time, space, and time, and God does not. But all of that is very important because Jesus, at a point in time in history, and the Father said it's time, he came to earth, he laid aside some of the privilege, don't misunderstand me, Jesus never stopped being God, he laid aside some of the privileges of being God, limited himself to a human body so that he could experience, so that he could experience much of what you and I experience and he did a couple of other things in doing that. It says he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's why I talked about setting aside privilege, power, and position. God Almighty, his son Jesus, who is our Savior, said, we love these people so much, we love them so much, I'm going to go to earth in their form and suffer and die and be disrespected and humiliated for your glory, God, and then to save these people. That's what I'm talking about. And then he emptied himself and he became a servant. Not just a servant, but a bond servant. Your Bible might say slave. Jesus Christ took on the form of a slave and became a man. Why? because he was going to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So being, being a servant, we've already talked about that some this morning. Look, sometimes your servanthood might call you to do something difficult. It might cost you something that alters your life forever. If you ask me about that later, I'll, um, or later today or another day, I will tell you some stories. God has allowed things into my life that have changed my life forever. Some of them, they're not the good, exciting, adventurous things. Some are. Some are the hard, difficult, heartbreaking, make you cry, ugly cry too. Cry your heart out. Some of them are the good and beautiful and adventurous things. But God, when he calls us to that servanthood, obedience is tough. Consistent obedience is tough. And then uncomfortable, radical obedience. Sometimes, Repentance is very uncomfortable. Um, early in recovery, I still remember, I was 22 years old. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how, how many years have gone by since then. But I still remember living life differently right away. Every day was very uncomfortable. Some of y'all know what that's like because some of y'all are doing it. Some of you have been doing it. And it's very uncomfortable sometimes, right? There's great joy as well in the victories, but sometimes it's really uncomfortable. And it is radical obedience. You know why? 
because some of you will know what this means. We leave behind people, places, and things. There are places we no longer go, people we no longer hang out with, and things we no longer are able to do. Sometimes the flesh would still like to be around for some of that, and the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. Radical obedience sometimes is challenging. And then, um, this one's tough, because when we talk about giving your all, Jesus gave his all, right? Yeah. And you know, at the military, they say some uh, all gave some, but some gave all. Man, I mean, that kind of, I mean, I was never in the military, but that kind of gets me sometimes, right? Some of you have loved ones in the military. You may have even have loved ones who made that ultimate sacrifice that I don't know about. I have friends whose sons have made that ultimate sacrifice, and they tell me about it. But Jesus gave it all. And, you know, being an addicted person, I had to be careful because I will live life at zero or 100, and sometimes doing the speed limit, I just don't enjoy it. So what does giving your all mean? It's in here. It's in here. Um, giving your all, that radical obedience, making yourself available, living in that humility. And then, so this checkup that I need, I'm getting this checkup that I need because Jesus is my role model, right? And then lastly, lastly, number five, it really is, lastly, it's all about Jesus and God's glory. Verses 9 through 11, for this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Don't misunderstand this. Not everyone will come to salvation. Some are going to confess, make that very confession before they spend eternity separated from God because they rejected him and did not choose to make Jesus their savior. But, but, and the Bible says in other places, the Bible says here uh, in our last slide, Jesus Christ is Messiah, Savior, and God. I, you can jot those verses down. And it would be instructive for you if you took some time uh, to, to read that and think about eternality, the eternality of God. B, confession of the righteous and the unrighteous. Revelation 20, I believe, makes that clear to us in verses 11 through 15. Some say there'll be two judgments. Some say there'll, ju there'll simply be a judgment. And, um, but I do know this for certain. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, in James 4.10, we will make one last practical application and before we go home. The Word of God says this to you and to me. It's hard to ignore verses 8 and 9. But uh, verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Listen, so humility has been all in this, right? Chapter 1, chapter 2. Jesus as our ultimate example, he humbled himself. Um, um, you heard, you have read, you've seen the movies of the humiliation of Christ as he went to the cross. And there have been a couple of movies in recent history that I can still watch clips from them. And I would be emotional at how my Savior, um, how my Savior was humiliated, disrespected, beaten, and hung on a cross. And then I think, had I been there, would I have been one of the guys spitting on him and hanging him up? Or would I have been on my face? You know 